Amen. So glad you're here. We're about to jump into the Word of God. What time is it? Amen. I want to just wish um, you all a very pleasant uh, Thanksgiving holiday. Um, Amen. Hopefully you got your your, your turkey fryer all set up and you're ready to go um, like I am. But um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you guys get together with friends, with family. I pray, as we talked about hospitality last week, that you are open to opening up your home if need be. Uh, for some of those that may not have anywhere to go for Thanksgiving. Amen. And so I want to encourage you to have a good time in that. Um, we have been walking through a series called Different. It is a study in First Peter. It has been incredibly uh, blessing my soul. I pray that it's been a blessing to you as well. Um, and this is the last section in that series. Um, next week, we're going to jump into Advent. And we'll be celebrating the, the first in, or the incarnation of our Lord and Jesus Christ, God putting on flesh and coming down on a rescue mission to save man. We'll be spending four weeks or so in that, so I want to encourage you to be present for that. But let's finish up well in First Peter. We'll be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. First Peter 5, 1 through 11. And we'll be talking about two things this morning. Uh, well, Peter's going to spend some time talking to pastors and elders, and then Peter's going to spend some time talking about anxiety to elect exiles. Um, so we'll spend time in there. And as, we, as I'm thinking about this, this message and I'm thinking about talking about pastors and elders, I am, I am your pastor, which is a privilege of my life. I also get to serve as the assessment coordinator for Acts 29. And in that role, what I'm doing is I am talking to guys and their wives that want to start churches. And it's our job in the network to assess them uh, the best we can to kind of get a, a whiff, if you will, of, of God's calling on their life and their readiness, their preparedness to plant a church. And I remember uh, a couple years back, I was in the room with a guy and his wife, and there were some, we were interviewing them, and some questions were going back and forth, and, 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 and I say this all the time, and it's helpful for you to know, if you're ever talking to a couple, and the man is talking, a good way to discern what's really happening is to look what his wife is doing as he's talking. Uh, she's not really paying attention, digging in her pocketbook, and she's off in the sky somewhere. Sometimes body language matters. Sometimes that's indicative of something in that relationship. And as we're talking to this guy, that's what's happening. She's, she's aloof. She's afar off. She's in an interview for church planting. The wife is afar off, and he's just spitting out facts and datas and strategies and theology, and his wife is just nowhere to be found. And so uh, trying to be shrewd interviewers, we turn our attention to the wife, and we just say, listen, you, you just seem distant. You seem afar off. And, could you help us understand, um, you know, just where you are in this church planning process? And she blurts out very loudly, I don't even know why we're here. <laughs> I told him we weren't ready, and, and he, he, he clearly not let, it's just, just, she goes right into it. And at the height of her discourse, she breaks down and starts crying. And we, we by God's grace, 
loved them and shepherded them through that interview. And what he came to realize probably two years later, I'm not supposed to be planting a church. I'm supposed to be serving God in my vocation where he called me. And it's one of the loving things that we do in assessment is, is sometimes we're pushing guys who are ready and other, guys, other times we're getting in front of them, we're saying, wait, wait, slow down. Let's reanalyze. Let's push that launch date back. And here's why we're doing that. We're not hating on them. Here's what we understand as church planners. This stuff is hard. So Rodney, why not skip these first five verses talking to pastors and elders? Are you just talking to you and the four elders of this church? No, I am, but not just them. I'm talking to people in this church that may become elders. I'm talking to people in this church that have no aspirations of becoming a pastor or an elder but you should have an understanding of who they are and how they function. So this morning, Peter's going to talk to us about pastors and elders, and then Peter's going to talk to us about how to cope with anxiety as an exile. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll jump in to this message. Verse 1 says this, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and witnesses of sufferings of Christ, as well as the partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willing as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eager, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, or clothe yourselves, all of you, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the appropriate time he may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firming your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering are being experienced by your brothers your, 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 your brotherhood throughout the world and your sisterhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I want to preach from the topic, Humble Pastors, Humble People. Point one, Peter to pastors. Point two, Peter to anxious exiles. Let's pray and we'll begin. Father, thank you that the interest of your word brings light. Thank you um, that you are eternal. Thank you that you have gone before us. You have prepared a place 
before us, Lord. Thank you, uh, even as we're reminded this week in our CBR journals, that you have come to us in the person of Jesus through 42 generations to do for us what we can't do. Remind us of that. I pray for those that are here this morning that would not call themselves Christians, that um, not necessarily are here for inspiration, they are here for investigation. Oh God, would your word settle the matter in their heart? Would you do what only the Spirit of God can do? Draw, rescue, save, redeem, establish, confirm. God, it's to that end that I'm available to be used by you. Use me for your glory, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we are just preaching expositionally. We're just walking through these 11 verses this morning. And one of the things I've just been so encouraged by walking through First Peter is understanding the word is enough. And if you dig into this word, you'll be satisfied. Amen? Y'all like how I said that? If you dig into this word... Verse 1, Peter starts out, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and as witnesses of the suffering of Christ as well as partakers in the glory that is going to be revealed. Before we jump into what Peter tells elders, we got to deal with that first word in verse 1, so. Why does Peter begin the chapter with the word so? He has something else in mind. It is like the word therefore. When you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what is it there for? He's pointing us backwards to something, and where he's pointing us backwards to is verse 17 of chapter 4, and it says this, For it is the time for judgment to begin in the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome of those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are, or is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful cre creator while doing good. Here's what Peter is saying before he says, anything to the elders, here's, here's the backdrop. Um, judgment is coming. And it is starting in the household of God. In other words, elders, pastors, judgment is coming. So, so as you preach, as you teach, as you shepherd, as you love, as you care for, in the back of your mind, the backdrop is this, judgment is coming and it is starting in the household of God. So if that is your backdrop, you love people differently. We don't love you enough not to tell you the truth. Why? Judgment's coming. You know, you are, there are very few places you're going to go this week where you're going to be reminded judgment is coming. That's why where you go to church matters. There are some churches you will never hear judgment is coming. Who your pastor is, who your elders are matters. So when we preach, we preach. When we do funerals, we do funerals like judgment is coming. So I'm not going to sugarcoat the message and put loved ones in heaven. Why? Judgment's coming. When we do weddings, and I love doing weddings, 
but I'm really trying to preach the gospel at the wedding in light that somebody would hear the gospel, and even while they're all dressed up at a beautiful wedding, they may hear the gospel and understand judgment is coming, but there's a plan that saves them from judgment. When we, when we do premarital counseling, when elders sit with couples and they're doing premarital counseling, part of us is trying to say, you sure you want to do this? Why? This is hard. There's going to be times where you feel like there's so much pain in your marriage, you're going to want to run. But understand, this is only for a little while. You can get through this. We're not counseling to make people happy. We're counseling people to help people understand judgment is coming. We do outreach differently with the mindset that judgment is coming. We've got a beautiful opportunity later on today. We're going to be feeding some families uh, in need with a, with a Thanksgiving dinner. We're going to be sitting around the table talking to them. Man, what an opportunity to help someone know, hey, as we're eating this turkey, remember, this life is not all there is. Amen? So as he, now as he gets into talking about pastors, and I'll use the term pastors and elders interchangeable because the Bible does, there's some things that he wants us to know. First, before I get there, I'll say this. You're going to need your pastor and your elders. When you get married, hopefully, you're going to need your pastor. When you're buried, you're going to need your pastor. And so it matters who your pastors are. Some of us in here, we think too high of pastors. I was talking to someone, and I was meeting with them, and they were kind of blown away by the fact that I would meet with them. And we're eating, and they're like, I can't believe you're eating with us. <laughs> you got to understand, people come from different faith backgrounds. And sometimes it would be very taboo for the pastor to eat with you. But I almost feel like, Jesus, look, touch me. I'm flesh and blood, just like you. Here's the idea. Here's the idea. Some people have too elevated of a view of a pastor. And so you hold me in your mind, not in reality because I'm not going to submit to it, but you hold me way too high in your mind as if Rodney can't say no wrong, do no wrong, be no wrong. And that's why I say all the time, Rodney's a hot-heated mess. Don't believe me? Ask Kaisha. Amen? Some of you have too low a view of a pastor. You've had some run-in with a pastor that has turned you off. I got a brother that I know, he, he, he saw a pastor do some shady stuff involving some, some women, and he has just turned off to pastors. So when he sees me, he's like, Suspicion, and I get it. That's the role. That's comes with the territory, right? But Peter doesn't want us to have too high of an elevated view of pastors or too low. He wants us to have a view of the pastor that God has called pastors to. If you want to know what that view is, read First Timothy three verses one through uh, five, and read Titus chapter one. So, what are elders to do? This is important that you know, church. This is important for you to know. Here's, here's, here's our job. We care for, protect, feed, 
love the flock of God that is among us. Look what Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. How do you know which sheep is among you and which sheep are not among you? It's a logical question. Shepherd the flock. Which flock? The flock that's among you. How do you know if they're among you or not? That's why membership matters. Membership helps us delineate which sheep are under our care. But here's our job. We want to care. We want to protect from false doctrine, from, 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 from creepy uh, sects of thoughts that come in and want to deceive the church. We want to feed you with the love of God. We want to love on you as, a, as the family of God. This is why uh, Sunday mornings matter. This is why it's important for you to be in the household of God. These, these team of elders have selected community groups. That's why community groups matter. Some of you are in a life group right now and praise God because these, these five elders can't uh, shepherd everybody at once. So we've set up this system of community groups for you to feel loved and cared for and fed. Amen. So it matters that you're in a community group. You're, you're, you're helping us shepherd you well. Peter also says, he talks to the elders. This is plural. Somebody say plural. In other words, it's not a one-man show. It's a plurality of elders. Why do we need more than one elder? For safety. If Rodney goes rogue, who's calling him on it? For gifting, there are certain things that the lead pastor or the executive pastor can't do that other elders come alongside and strengthen that gift set. And also for humility, because elders get outvoted. <laughs> Amen. So what should drive these elders? Man, why would, why would someone want to become an elder? Here's a couple things that shouldn't be driving them. Not serving out a duty. In other words, no one has to beg you to do it or do it in a begrudging way, but from a willing heart for God's people. I, this has become a life verse to me. This is 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 9. And it says this, should be on the screen. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are a glory and joy. Man, one of the things when, 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 when life gets hard and, 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 and shepherding gets hard, one of the things that encourage pastors is when they see you walking in a way that honors the Lord. I wish I could explain it to you. But when you can sit back and hear someone begin to articulate the gospel or defend the gospel, oh man, that's great joy. When, when, when you see people that were in a community group or in a discipleship group now leading a community group, man, that's, that's great joy. So not under compulsion but willing. Not for shameful gain. For if they do that, they pervert God's word. So they're eager to teach, but they're not teaching for a check. They're not doing it for money. They're doing it for their love of God and the love of his people. Not domineering or misusing power. So he's not abusing people. But he's doing it out of his love for God and love for God's people. In verse 5, he says, Young, submit, younger, submit to the elders. And, and this elders here could mean 
older individuals. I think it could also mean what, what Peter's talking about in this verse, the elders of the church anyway, uh, whatever way it means, he's calling us to clothe ourselves in humility. Here's what humility means. This is good. It means I am willing to learn and I am willing to listen. Some of us are only willing to, to teach and not learn. Some of us are only willing to talk and not listen. But humility says, I'm going to take the posture where I can listen to your concerns or where you are, and even if there's something that is said from you that can benefit me, I can learn from you. That's humility. That's humility. So this is mutual submission. And this is how he's called elders to serve. There's a story of a, of a guy who, who, who uh, gets married and, and he's moving into his apartment and he has this box, this little old beat-up box. And in this old beat-up box, it's this old beat-up chain. So he gets married and, and they move into an apartment. They stay in an apartment for about a year. And after a year, they move into their home. And in the process of moving to the apartment, or from the apartment to the home, he loses the box. And he's asking his new bride, have you seen the box? Have you seen that old box that had that old necklace in it? And she's like, no, I haven't seen it. There's, a, there's many things for us to consider here. There's, we're moving all this stuff from here. To, I don't have time to worry about a box. And he's beginning to get irate. And she's asking, why are you so overly concerned with that little box with that beat-up necklace? And she said, he said, it's not about the box, and it's not about the necklace. It's about the one that gave it to me. And he said, that necklace was given to me by my father who's not here anymore. So you have to understand, it's not just a necklace. This necklace means something. So why would someone become an elder? It's not about the title. There are not many perks that come with the job. <laughs> Ask the elders. He's been labor out of love for you. Pray over you. They care for you immensely. Why do they do it for a title? This ain't about no title. It's because our, our Father has entrusted the responsibility to us. So what's the motivation for elders to be elders, the motivation is verse 4. And when our chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. You see, here's what elders understand. Again, congregation, I know, don't tune out. This is good stuff for you to know. Because you will meet a pastor who ain't doing it for people. And you need to be able to see that. You'll meet a pastor who's domineering. You need to be able to see that. You'll meet a pastor who's in it for the money, and you can tell you'll be able to see that. You'll see an elder that will not do plurality of, 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 of eldership and share his power with nobody. He's in control. He's the man of God. He's the set man. You need to see that. But elders, here's your motivation. The chief shepherd is coming. And when the shepherd comes, he's giving me an unfading crown. There's a lot of crowns. There's a lot of crowns. There's a lot of crowns. I can 
go after. But when December comes, he's given me a crown that won't fade. That's the motivation for your elders. So when you see them, when you talk to them, pray for them. Encourage them. Your pastors, pray for us. Encourage us. Amen. Point two, Peter to anxious people. So he's given a word to pastors. Now he's given a word to people. And he's given a word to people that are struggling with anxiety. Now we live in an anxious society. Prescriptions, drugs for depression and anxiety are the most um, um, popular or best-selling drugs on the market. We live in a society of anxiety. So what is Peter's instructions? Verse 6, humble yourselves. Check this out, y'all. This is not a great suggestion. This is a command. Humble yourselves. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You also saw this in your CBR reading if you were reading this week. Verse, uh, James 4, verse 6 says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. In other words, when I am prideful, when I think I can accomplish things in my own strength, when I think too highly of myself, the Bible says God is opposing the proud. He's, he is stiff-arming the proud. But to the humble, he's giving grace. This is the picture that Jesus talks about of, the, uh, of two men that come into the temple to pray. And one is a, a, a tax collector, and he's a sinner. And another one is, a, I believe, a Levite. And he's, he's praying, and he's standing, and he's praying proudly. And he has this great prayer, and it's very articulate. And, and, and the tax collector, he comes in, and he's beating on his chest, and he's saying, God, forgive me, a sinner. And the question Jesus asks is, which one of those men walked away justified? Man, it's the humble. It is those that understand that I am in desperate, dependent need on Jesus. One of the three things that Christians know is that he did not make himself and he cannot save himself. His humility springs from his total dependence on God's grace. And Peter knows what being haughty looks like and prideful look like even in the life of Jesus. Man, yesterday I did something with my kids that I've never done before. We, we, we turned on the TV and we watched The Passion of the Christ. And there were some parts, some of y'all thinking, what kind of parent is that? Some of the parts, I fast forward and if you watch the movie, You've seen the movie, you understand. But there are many parts I wanted them to grapple with. I wanted them to grapple with the punishment of Jesus for our sins. One of the things in that movie we saw was Peter's denial. We see this in the text, and I believe in, in, in Matthew, that Peter is sitting by the fire with Jesus. And Jesus is talking about the things that he must suffer. Peter says, man, hold up. I want to go with you. 
Jesus says, where I am going, you can go. Peter said, what? Yo, I'll die for you, son. Now, I don't know if son was on the end of that, but it just, it, it sounded like something that should have been there if it wasn't there in the original Greek. He said, I'll die for you. And Jesus begins to prophesy to him that you sound great. It sounds amazing to speak that boldly about me. But before the crow or before the bird makes the noise three times, before, before you hear the sound from the crow, you will deny me three times. You see, it's easy for us to get really haughty, really prideful, really quickly. It sounds like this. I'm just going to go to work tomorrow. Y'all thought I was going to say something else. On Friday, we going over here. How you know you're going over there? How you know you're waking up on Friday? Oh, come on, Rod. You getting that serious? I'm just saying. See, humble people think through stuff like that. Well, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to get through this degree, and I'm going to graduate in one year, and, you know, I've got to burn the midnight oil, and i got, 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 you know, got to get my tutor stuff set up, get my computer. I'm just going to breeze through this degree. I'm going to save this much money. i got this, this great plan, and I'm going to save this, this much every week, and then at the end of the year, I'm going to have this much money, and at the end of five years, I'm going to have that much money. This is going to be great. Well, when I have kids, my kids are going to do this. Ooh, I'm in the house. I mean, I'm looking at their kids. I don't know what their kids are. But, but my kids. Peter knows what it's like to, 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 write a, to, to say something with his mouth that his heart cannot live out. So when Peter tells you to be humble, listen. Pastor Peter says, part of the reason we think we can do stuff that we can't do is because we are fixated with being in control. It is us thinking that we control our lives apart from Jesus. My job, my family, my ministry, my stuff, my, 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 my. Another way we show our pridefulness is by comparing ourselves to others. Us thinking we know our own self. You know, the, the crazy thing about comparison is not that you're just looking at somebody and you're measuring them up and you think that you know them, when in reality, you have no idea what their life is like. It's also the fallacy that you have a proper understanding of who you are. Jeremiah says it this way, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? This is why we got to entrust ourselves to a God that knows us better than we do. And we got to say things like, Lord, 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 I'm trusting you. I'm relying on you. Lord, you will show me the way I'm supposed to go. You will grant me wisdom on how I'm supposed to move. Not my will, but your will be done. Lord, make clear to me what's next in my life. You see, humble people are needy people. 
And needy people are looked down on in this culture. And so you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to be humble and needy, or am I going to be liked and accepted by what this culture rules and, and, and regulations are for my life? Where am I humbling myself, Rodney? Under the mighty hand of God. Now, some of us um, are thinking, oh, fine, humble myself. Got to get under. Got to submit. Uh, submission. Ah, I got to get under the mighty hand of God. <laughs> Let me get low because I got to get under his mighty hand. Until there's a hailstorm. Until chaos breaks out in your life and you need shelter. Until the elements around you are hectic and life is crazy. See, now it's not me uh, uh, grudgingly getting under the mighty hand of God. I am clinging and thankful for the mighty hand of God because it is that mighty hand that protects me from what's coming my way. Get under the mighty hand of God is not begrudging. It is wise and it has pleasure to be under a hand of God that protects me and secures me. And as I get under that hand, he has control. He doesn't compare me to others. He knows what I need. And in due time, he exalts me. He raises me up in his good, good timing. It's one of the things the Lord has reminded me of this week. It was about vision. And God knows when to release vision to his people. Some of us are in a cloudy state in our lives right now. And we are confused about what to do next. Do you not know God is a God of great clarity? Do you not know you serve a God that knows not just the answers, but knows when to give you the answers? So what do you do while you're waiting for your next step? You get yourself under the mighty hand of God, and you clothe yourself in humility, and you seek the God who has sought you, and you trust that in due time, the answer will come. In due time, the way will be made. In due time, the door will be open. Footnote, you can't open the door anyway. If you could open it, you wouldn't be so mad sitting here, me telling you to clothe yourself in humility. Another thing we do as we're under the mighty hand of God and we're humbling ourselves is we preach the gospel to ourselves. We remind ourselves of what God has said. We remind ourselves that our God is good, and we, 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 we preach this gospel to ourselves. Listen, you should be your favorite preacher. You should be preaching the gospel to yourself, preaching yourself out of some situations. Amen? 
Then he goes on to say, we cast our cares on him. This word cares mean distracting anxiety. Now there's a place, there's a place for mental health counseling. Believe that. This church has, has done things to affirm that. That sometimes there is a need for us to meet with counselors and get counseling. Amen? But I think also we have, we have done that in some cases at the expense of stuff like prayer. And then we sit with counselors and we give all the praise and all the honor and all the glory to a counselor because we skipped over the counselor. Understand this. When Peter says, humble yourself and cast your cares on him, listen, he is commanding you to do that. Cast your cares on him. To cast your cares means to be swallowed up in a loving trust of the Father. In other words, I got to go to him in prayer, and I got to take what's on my heart. I got to take my burden. I got to take my concern, and I got to cast it on him. It means to, to give it over to him because he cares for you. In other words, you have to take the anxiety, the stress, the heartache, the depression that you may have walked in this church with and what Peter is telling you, I want you to get before him and I want you to cast that anxiety on him, that concern on him because he cares for you. This happens through prayer. I wish there was a way we could spell it out, make it Super, super simple, so you could do one, two, three, and experience casting your cares on, 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 on Jesus. But if we could do that, that would eliminate the process of growth and faith and sanctification. He wants to take us through this process of prayer that we learn to bring our burdens and concerns to him. Secondly, Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful, and resist him. Here, he's talking about spiritual warfare. Let me say a few things about this before I get started. Some of us have an idea about spiritual warfare that says this, man, the devil is everywhere. Y'all ever met somebody like that? I can't find a parking space. The devil, busy! <laughs> devil, he woke up and said, oh, let, me not, let me let him not find any parking spaces. Sometimes it's that you're late. I think there's another view that says the devil is nowhere. It's just us. I mean, the reason you're going through that, you made a bad decision. Or it's, it's, it's you know, it's just, it's, we live in a fallen world, so bad things happen. That's true. But there's also spiritual forces fighting against the children of God. So where does Peter want us? Not that there's a devil everywhere or that there's a devil nowhere, but he wants us to be three things. Number one, he wants us to be sober-minded. 
In other words, he wants us to be clearly clear in our mind and in our thinking. This is something that he's been saying throughout this book for us to be sober-minded. In other words, allowing the Word of God to dwell in our minds and hearts richly. Secondly, he wants us to be watchful. That word watchful is telling us to be prayerful. We just talked about that, the need for us to be prayerful and awake and vigilant and watching. Then thirdly, don't miss this, you got to resist him. Some of us, when we come under either temptation uh, or, or spiritual attack, we, we give way. We're too, we're, we're too easily given to temptation. Man, again, just, just referencing that movie, it's just fresh on my mind from yesterday. My favorite part of the movie is when Satan is tempting Jesus in the garden and he comes to him in the form of a snake. And Jesus, although he's under great anxiety and pressure about the coming, uh, uh, the, the, the cross that's coming to him, he gets up and he crushes the snake. But before he crushes the snake, he looks at Satan in this way like, like, really, dude? And then just presses the snake. My favorite part of the story. Now, I know Jesus may not have looked at whatever, okay? I like that scene where he's like, yeah, whatever. And he just crushes the snake. For us, we need to look at temptation that way. Really? Not today. I'm resisting. Not going there. It's not sin for me to go there. But I know what I've dealt with, what I struggle with. I'm not going over there. I, I, I feel tempted to get in this argument with my brother, with my I'm, I'm, I'm not doing that. I'm pulling back. You, re- resisting the devil and his, and his attacks on our lives. Amen? And then lastly, verse 10 says this, And after you've suffered a while, the God of grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He says, after you suffered a while. Now, some of you hear that and you say, man, um, Rodney, I hear you resist the devil. Um, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta resist him. I gotta not, not, not give way for him. But man, this, this, this temptation, this attack, at times can feel so heavy. Or maybe you're, you're, you're dealing with anxiety and you're overwhelmed, and 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 you can almost feel it coming. You can feel when that weight's coming to rest on your shoulders, to make you lethargic or to make you shut down or to make you give up give over give in and you're like Rodney I hear what Peter's saying that I'm supposed to cast my cares on him for he cares for us but this is hard and I'm 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 doubting like yeah I know God's good and I know he cares for me but maybe he cares for the other people in this church and maybe he don't care for me for me I'm doubtful that God would be there to rescue me. Or maybe you're afraid of your own temptation. And when it comes, you're, 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 you're shaking in your proverbial boots because you are fearful that you're going to give in to it again. 
Rodney, what do I do then? Rodney, what do I, what do, I do if anxiety comes back? Rodney, what do I do if I find myself in a dark place and I can't get out? Rodney, what do I do, real time, real talk, when I'm really overwhelmed? First thing is understand, this is important, he did not promise comfort. He did not promise you won't be overwhelmed. And if he did not promise that, then don't think he left you when you're overwhelmed. Don't think he does not love you anymore when you're experiencing anxiety. He did not promise that you won't be anxious. But here's what he did promise to anxious exiles. Number one, there is an expiration date on your suffering. In other words, this suffering don't, won't last always. Sometimes I am counseling young people and I'm thinking, by 30, you won't struggle with that. By 35, you won't even think that way. What am I saying? You can, you, you, you can track the lives of some people and understand what you are going through is temporary. Here's good news for us that are anxious exiles. There's an expiration date on your suffering. And worst case scenario, this is a trial that you walk with for the rest of your life. There's still an expiration date because there's still so much more life to live in eternity. Number two, he promised he's a God of all grace. I love that he's not just a God of some grace or a little grace. He is a God of all grace. And what that means is he got grace for that too. Where do you find yourself this morning? What trouble do you find yourself in? Where has anxiety taken hold of you? Where are you doubting and fearful and anxious? He got grace for that too. Good news. He got grace for that too. Not only that. But this God who called you into his eternal glory is the same God who keeps you. Our verse says here, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If anybody knew what it's like to be restored and confirmed, strengthened, and established, it's Peter. Everyone standing, I'm, I'm done. We've already said and mentioned Peter's denial of Jesus three times. And as Peter understood, he let his Savior down. He was absolutely crushed. And here's what he, he was certain of in his mind. God don't want nothing to do with me anymore. I have completely failed him after he told me I was going to fail him, and I still failed him. I'm done. And Jesus, in John chapter 20, just lovingly, graciously, as the good shepherd that he is, goes after the one sheep that have ran away, 
And he goes after Peter. He pursues Peter. He makes breakfast for Peter. And he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter with emotion is saying, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. He asks him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. He says, feed my lambs. He asks him a third time. He's, he's confirming his love three times to undo Peter's denial of him three times. Peter, do you love me? He says, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus does for Peter what we need Jesus to do for us to restore confirm, strengthen us, and establish us. This same fearful Peter goes on to lead the New Testament church. I wonder what you would do when you've been confirmed, strengthened, established. I wonder what you would do when you've been restored to him. 